because I have a daughter who's 24 years old. She's very, very, very feisty. And I was saying, like I said earlier, you know, I really don't want to be this. I don't like being the face and da, 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 you know, all of this. And my daughter said to me, mom, many women I know do a lot of things but then they disappear into the background and men take the glory. If I don't see women there, you know, forging the way, I don't know that I can get there when I'm older. So why I'm here today is because... Hello everybody, this is Shweta Dalmia and welcome back to another amazing episode of The Climberpreneur Show. We are back to inspire you with another powerful conversation with Antoniette Vermillier, the co-founder of Gallifrey Foundation and She Changes Climate. Welcome to The Climberpreneur Show, Antoniette. You know, like I'm so excited to have you here. Like, you know, you are basically one of the creators, someone who really led the foundations of two extremely powerful platforms, the Gallifrey Foundation and She Changes Climate. Like, it's so inspiring. Like when I say that, you know, she changes climate. It gives me that little punch of motivation. And yes, welcome to the Climbpreneur Show. I'm so excited to have you here, to know your story, to know your journey. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. That is so kind of you. And I'm very, very honored to be on this amazing show. And it is so, so lovely to have a platform um, um, to be able to talk about this really important issue. Yeah, it's like it's one of the one of the most motivational mornings. So, you know, I'm quickly going to start with like, did the little girl, did the little Antoniette ever imagine that you'll be doing something this day? Like you'll be empowering, inspiring so many people around you, especially women. So like, did the little girl imagine that? No, uh, this little girl lived in West Africa. And most of the time uh, you could find me under a bush crawling around looking at insects watching uh, plants. Um, I loved looking at animals and things like that. So I never, I'm not a, I'm not a social person. I'm actually, I may look extrovert, but frankly, I'm much happier being alone, just being in touch with nature and observing. And I think as a young girl, one of the first lessons I learned is don't touch until you understand fully and I find that nowadays, uh, probably why we are where we are, is that a lot of us touch without really knowing what we're doing. And then down the line, we go, oops, oops, we've done this. I think I'm much more cautious. Maybe is it is it a girl or is it just um, understanding that nature is so interconnected? And I think that currently humans, we tend to go in and see something, touch it, not understanding the long-term consequences or the ripple effect of what we do. And I think that's why we are where we are with climate change. We went down one narrow alley and went, okay, yeah, you know, oil is good, let's use it, and used it to a point now where it's no longer. So it's that kind of, that. no, I had no idea I would be here. I would never have used my voice even 10 years ago. Um, but this is a cause. Really? No. I'm very, I like to be behind screens. I like to be behind words, but not, not a, a, a front, front person. But this is more important. This is more important than me, than you, than anyone. So that's why I'm here. Um, because it's so important and, and the message is bigger than anything, any ego or anything like that. So that's had to be thrown out the window. Antonia, then what happened? Like, you know, as you mentioned that maybe 10 years ago, you wouldn't have been doing this, you wouldn't have been using the, your voice. So 
what is right at this moment at this point which was not right 10 years ago so if we look at climate change most of the most dramatic things have happened in the last 30 years in my lifetime so when i was young and i lived out in the basically um in in west africa i could see a lot of biodiversity i could see a lot of richness i then lived in the middle east uh, near the red sea and again the biodiversity the marine biodiversity was incredible um what has happened is it just seems our scale of industry our scale of growth our scale of um vacuuming up all our resources have been without much consequence or thought to the long term effects and we are now starting to see those effects and they are major so what happened was about 10 years ago i was just involved in uh, my my original organization gallifrey foundation is all about marine conservation because just to give you some concept but context the ocean absorbs over 90% of our carbon dioxide our excess carbon dioxide it's actually being the best buffer zone we have but there's a tipping point there's a point at which you can no longer take it and there are major major um transformations taking place in the ocean which are not only going to at the moment they're helping us with our spending habits i mean i often describe this as being if i were a banker and i had a client who kept spending money to the point that they were in the red to you know and they're in debt and they're in debt and they're in debt i'd be the banker going hang on a second you know and that's mother nature she's starting to say hang on we need to start calling in the shots so in terms of ocean we've lost quite a lot of our biodiversity and the and that is either through our unsustainable practices such as overfishing uh, bottom trawling um uh, our marine and plas- uh, uh, a chemical and plastic pollution are affecting the phytoplankton that produce half our oxygen if we kill that off through our using the ocean as a garbage dump um we're actually hurting ourselves so the dots are starting to connect so what happened how i got into she changes climate is totally by coincidence and i don't know for you um uh, sometimes our lives are such that we think we're going in one straight direction life is not like that you go in zigzags you end up doing one thing and then suddenly you come here and then you bounce off that so about last october uh, or september we came across an article um that had mentioned that the UK which will be hosting the climate negotiations for this year um were all male now normally uh, you one's comment would be oh that's terrible gosh you know blah 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 and then you go to bed at night but as i was, i'm a sleepless person so i was lying in bed thinking about this and i went hang on a second okay so what's the problem with this and the problem with this is that it's a certain type of of perspective we are only having male perspectives in solving this problem which means we're not having an all-round 360 degree input and as we know you know stupid data in stupid data out wouldn't we want to be looking for something that is more complete that reflects 
everyone who's going to be affected by climate change, including half the planet. And in fact, we often talk about global ethnic majority that is left out, because this is not just a matter of gender. This is a matter of diversity. This is a matter of the full range where we need that input coming in. So I thought, okay, fine. You know, what am I going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And then I started investigating things. So I live in Switzerland, which is very close to the United Nations. The United Nations is host to the World Meteorological Organization. Um, they are kind of the driver behind the UNFCCC, uh, which is all to do with the COP, the uh, uh, climate uh, change, uh, climate uh, negotiations. And so I went to them and I said, okay, so that the UK is hosting, what does that mean? You know, surely, you know, it's not going to make much difference. And one of the contacts came back and said, yes, it's true. The agenda is pretty um, formalized. So the things that go on a, 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 a meeting, the agenda items are pretty much the same. However, the framing and the narrative is entirely in the hands of the host nation. So what does that mean, framing a narrative? I'll give you an example. A few years ago, the COP was held in Poland. Poland is a coal-producing country, and they have a lot of uh, people involved in coal. They didn't want to talk about renewable energy. They wanted to talk about agriculture because that diverted away from coal. And coal is a huge uh, emitter of greenhouse gas emissions. So the point was they moved, the, they deflected. And we are now at a point where the scientists say we are at literally 10 years away from ha having to have our um, intended actions to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions fully in place and working if we are to reach net zero by 2050. If we miss that target, we have overshot our chances. And and it's if I go back to what we were saying at the Rio summit um, in the uh, uh, late 80s, 90s, why, if we had done what we had done then, it would have been so much cheaper, so much less painful, and we would have been way ahead. But it seems to me that the closer we're coming to the edge of this waterfall that we're going to go down, people, politicians at the top are too concerned with the short-term economic um, uh, uh, crises or issues that face them to the sacrifice of our long-term legacy for our children and grandchildren. So this is a really big issue. And it was one that as I was thinking about it, I thought, my gosh, we have to do something about this. So with a group of friends, including Bianca Pitt, my co-founder or co-conspirator, and Elise Buchle, who lives with me here in, in Switzerland, we got together and we said, we have got to get more women up at, into this team. This is an essential item because if we don't, we don't have women's perspectives. And the other thing that we've learned through our research is that um, if you just have a token woman, I was just looking at statistics before coming on. So in England, we've had a female prime minister. We've had a female prime minister. The point is, though, if that female prime minister is surrounded mainly by males, the way that she will be able to communicate and and 
create action will be different than if she is 50 or even 60 or even 70% females. There's a different way of thinking that involves um, emotional intelligence. It involves compassion. It involves kindness. And these are values that actually we need right now because in climate change negotiations, you can't be a winner and a loser. We need to have everyone winning somehow. And unfortunately, this combative approach seems to be the one that is taking place. You know, the rich countries who have lived off their colonial pasts are still riding that wave, but to the detriment of all the countries who didn't have that opportunity and now paying the costs. And that is something that we need to reckon with now, not later, now. So this is why She Changes Climate came about. This is an urgent, important campaign. Now, it's, it's right now it is driven to push the UK government to add more women to the top of their negotiating team. So that's where we're at today. You know, uh, like, this is amazing. And, you know, like, I really appreciate the fact that the way you formed a team, like, as you told about, you know, Elise, Bianca, and all other women, like, I really feel that's really, you know, a powerful team. And, you know, like... And don't it like sometimes like uh, as you also mentioned that, you know, one night you thought that why are women not there at the, you know, the policy making stages and at the COP decision making points. So at that point, you like felt uh, sleepless at that point. Did you feel anxious? Like, did you feel that, uh, you know, like uh, I feel something about this, but from that point to taking a step was there like several, uh, I would say levels of emotions included because I really, really, really appreciate the fact that you actually cared about something and you went out and took a step. But sometimes like what I get to hear is that, okay, the problem is there, but it's so big. Like, how can I do something? But what you did is commendable. You saw something which you didn't feel was right and you took a step out. So was it an easy decision on a personal level or did you yourself went through several layers of doubt, several nights of, you know, should I do this? Should I not do this? Um, it's the very good point that you're saying. And I think this is something where, um, I think women are good at this. Reach out to your girlfriends, to your sisters, to the sisterhood, because I could not have done this alone. It's radical collaboration. It is people getting together about something that they believe in and working from different angles. So I think in the end, you might be referring also to eco-grief. Um, I was, when I heard this, uh, my job, my job is protecting the oceans. That's what I want to do. To do this is a job I don't want to be in. I shouldn't have to be in. We're in the 21st century and we're still talking about gender equality. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous that at this time, at this moment in time, this is still an issue. We should be beyond this. And in fact, it, it's, 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 a, it's a wrong that is taking up a lot of our time when we should be spending it on other things. That's why I am angry. The second point, though, is if I'm angry about something, when I was, and as I said before, I like to, to be in the background. I don't really like to be in, in, in the front. There are three things I've learned through this process which are really, really important and which every woman on the planet should be 
talking about. The first is our perspectives, our experience counts. We have a viewpoint that is different to others. And that may be not every woman is going to think exactly the same. We're all not all pinky girls and everything. We've got different views, but they're different perspectives and we need them included. And I'll just give you an example that about 20 years ago in, in India, there was a terrible earthquake. Um, and a number of, I mean, hundreds of thousands of homes were destroyed. So the team that built in, it was World Bank, it was NGOs, they all came together, building plan, reconstruction, beautiful, built 300,000 homes. When everyone moved back in, there were no kitchen facilities. Do you know why? No women were consulted. I mean, you have to sit there and think, it's an economic price that we pay as well. And if we included perspectives from women from lower middle income countries, it's been estimated we could add as much as 12 trillion to the global economy. So this is an economic issue as well. And also the other point that we do as women is we tend to save money. So that is the other part is that where women have been involved in government and everything, actually climate uh, uh, um, and energy um, uh, decisions are usually much more progressive. Um, and so, so we are actually an asset that is underrepresented and undervalued. And that's the point. The other point I would say, so that's the perspectives of women. The other point is perception of women, women being seen. So in the climate change story, women are portrayed as victims. You know, oh, it's the women who are going to suffer. Yeah, not through their own fault. A lot of this is because of the decisions that have made it that women are pushed into situations where they don't necessarily want to be. So women are also at those points under extreme pressure, under extreme conditions, incredibly creative and resilient. And we need to tap into that. We need to tap into that experience. The other part of perception of not women just being as victims, but actually as incredible architects of change and of solutions, is the point of actually seeing women in those positions. So one of our asks has been to the UK government because the, um, the, the UK negotiating team is based on the UK civil service structure. And obviously in India very much, it's a very bureaucratic, hardwired system that we need to get out of. And it's not easy to unpick these very heavy red tape things. So what we have actually gone and said to them is, even in your hierarchical system, if you have directors and deputy directors, that may be your structure, but show them as co-directors. Because the psychological impact is super important when people meet. It's a, it's a level of equality. It is not one up here and one down here. And right now, the UK government has just appointed, under a lot of pressure, a, um, a, a, there's the lead negotiator for climate change, and they've just appointed a woman as the deputy lead negotiator. And our point was to them was that's great, but you should call her a co. You should call them both co-leaders. And why is that? Because if I walk into a room and I see someone, a male, who is the leader and a woman who is the deputy leader, who am I going to look at if I want to make a difference? I'm going to go to the leader. 
we need to break those those um, psychological inbuilt barriers. We need to start creating um, that flattening, that hierarchy, so that women have equal opportunity to be listened to and to be regarded. So even if the reality is for the UK civil structure that it's very constrained, like a little, you know, a straitjacket, um, on the perception side, we are seeing them as equal representatives and with equal decision-making capacity, which in fact they do have. So that was the perception part. The final part is space. Now this is super important, and this is why I'm here, because I have a daughter who's 24 years old. She's very, very, very feisty. And I was saying, like I said earlier, you know, I really don't want to be this. I don't like being the face, you know, all of this. And my daughter said to me, um, Mom, many women I know do a lot of things, but then they disappear into the background and men take the glory. If I don't see women there, you know, forging the way, I don't know that I can get there when I'm older. So why I'm here today is because I would be doing a disservice to young women and our daughters if we are not here now. And it's time for all women, where possible, to step forward and claim what their their achievements are or what they're doing. Because this, um, you know, uh, what, what is it? It's, it's what was ingrained in me, you know, to be discreet, to be polite or whatever. Have you seen the young generation? They're full of, you know, they're full of... Uh, confidence, they stand out. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to have to follow in their path. They're the ones teaching me um, because that way I can do something for them. So those are our three asks from She Changes Climate. So it's, it's basically women's perspectives as input, women to be perceived everywhere so that they are whether or not your structure is um, is is uh, very full of red tape find other creative and tangential ways to show women as equal representatives and use them use their resources use their intelligence use their creativity and the final thing is for younger women we need to fill that space so women now of my age need to be there sort of like here we are so that my daughter and all our daughters and younger women can see. An example is um, Kamala Harris. When she was a young woman, she went to the theater and she saw a, a woman, an Indian woman on stage. And she went, oh my gosh, she suddenly could identify with her. That is super, super powerful. So those are the kind of three asks that we are insisting on um, with She Changes Climate. And while She Changes Climate is focusing mainly on the, on the UK COP26 leadership team, this applies to all climate negotiations because when women are included, chances of success have proved to be much greater. You know, like, this is amazing. And uh, the way I, I always say that, you know, we really need to walk together. And it's like somewhere I feel that climate action unites us. And it has that power that can really unite us 
as women as a society and together we can really create solutions and i definitely agree on that part that women really have the skills you know like empathy i think is one of the biggest skills that we as women have and that is really the heart and soul of climatepreneur collaboration working together and i'm really 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 glad that you picked out those points and then it like you know what you're doing is amazing you know like did, did it just replenishes your heart did it re- rejuvenates your soul and do you feel sometimes hey antonet what you're doing is amazing like i i'm loving myself i'm loving the work i am doing do you appreciate yourself for the work you are doing i'm i'm a very hard taskmaster on myself i think many of us are um i'm very goal oriented and i've had to learn my learning curve has been don't go for 100% go for 80 um i'm learning to i'm learning to appreciate myself um i think many women are very hard on themselves in um basically saying oh yeah but i will tell you something uh, the most important thing is again 10 years ago i was basically doing my little work in my little world and i used to think how can i reach out and start doing this um and that's a really important thing because people tend to say oh but you're in such a position to do this i actually spent a bit of time reaching out to scientists we've worked we started working with organizations i've learned a lot and we've networked so with the she changes climate movement i happened to be through bianca on a network of women who were involved in the environment so my first piece of advice to young women is reach out create a whatsapp group of things that concern you about the environment about climate change about going plastic free about um uh, permaculture all the things which are not just always oh this is so terrible but by the way god i've heard this really good piece of news and we literally whatsapp each other all the time and there are about 100 women on the group it becomes a community where you can reach out to others and a you find yourself not alone b other people have different perspectives can bring different information and above all they can mobilize action when you need to i think that's very very important in this day that you know that we give a lot of hassle to all social media and so forth but there is an advantage when we use it for good and i think at the end of the day with climate change issues all of us can do something and i keep going back so now this is me putting on my marine conservation hat is you know a plant based diet or at least eating less meat or less fish is hugely um important in reducing greenhouse gas emissions because most of our um meat production is used goes to deforestation uh greenhouse gas emissions um uh, cattle so we basically we there are ways just by our little gestures at home It's like a little pebble in a pond it has huge ripples our purchasing power consumerist lifestyle which has been imposed on us and pushed on us by very very heavy marketing sometimes during covid i was in a fortunate position that i could go out for walks in nature let me assure you that that those experiences were so much greater and so much more experiential than a quick online purchase from Amazon or something like that. So suddenly reconsidering what do we really need for our happiness? Those are important issues. 
I think the other issue I learned is family and friends. So I missed my friends because I couldn't see them. I was fortunate that I had family with me. In some cases, families don't always work well together, but thankfully ours did. Um, but the point about it is what, what really matters in life? And someone once told me, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you never sit there and say, I wish I worked harder. You say, I wish I'd reached out to so-and-so. I wish I'd given my daughter a hug or I wish I'd, you know, things that we need to sit there and say, what really matters? Who are our heroes? They're not the bankers. They're not the politicians. They're the people cleaning up the, the waste pickers. They're the nurses. They're the doctors. They're the, uh, the, the people who delivered food. I mean, these are our heroes. Why is our world so um, geared to this uh, money, 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 when in fact it's just the pursuit of that figure, that increasing number in our account or whatever, is making us lose contact with what really does matter. When you step back, you go, huh. So that was one of the most imp important things. So in terms of rejoicing, I always look on the bright side of life. If we are all facing a climate crisis right now, my option is do nothing or do something. I'm bloody well going to do something. I'm never going to sit still. And to me, this is urgent and vital. And if my voice persuades someone to do just one little thing, then today I've done my job. You, you know, like you are like a powerful woman. I always feel that climate change challenges are opportunities in disguise, opportunities to act, opportunities to create climate solutions. And this is exactly what you did. And yes, you know, like at this point, uh, I would just like to add to all the viewers, to all the listeners who are listening to us right now. If there is anyone whose work you like, you know, if there is anyone who you want to appreciate, please send a text, please message that person, please call that person and tell them that what they are doing is amazing because you do not know that your appreciation, your message can be the upliftment for that person on that day when he or she feels like giving up. So let's do this together and let's together create climate solutions. And you know, Antonia, like, you know, like I can say this with Climapreneur and House of Clima, it has done something to my soul. It has shaped me in a way I could have never imagined of. So what has She Changes Climate done for you on a personal level, on a level that you felt like, my God, this was meant for me. This is what I was meant to do. So what did it do to your soul? Because I can see, I can see a smile in your face. I can see that the contentment that you have. So what is, you know, what has it done to you? What it's done for me is shown me that even someone like me can make a difference. And the other thing is one can, one is fortunate enough sometimes to make a difference as an individual, but with radical collaboration with a whole load of other women, we can make so much more of a difference. And that is the power of women grouping together for a single purpose. And the thing is that this is really for I, what I love about this, why I love She Changes Climate is there are many groups. Now, let me be very clear. She Changes Climate was a seed that was born last year in October. We launched it in December. It created quite a stir. We had a lot of publicity. We had over 400 signatures from leading women climate scientists, politicians, environmentalists, um, uh, film stars, 
we had a lot of backing for this. The point about this, though, how did that come about? I mean, I was like, I can't believe this, because there are many groups behind us who have been doing this work for many, many years, working very hard to do the research, to do the training, to do the reaching out to governments for women in climate negotiations, for equality, for inclusiveness. So why are we different? The reason why I think we're different is we are, I call ourselves, we're the firework. We'll go up, we'll have a and we'll probably disappear. But the point is what we are doing is because we're somewhat radical and a little bit more um, forthright with our voice, we are not accepting, we're not being diplomatic about this because the time for diplomacy has been and gone. So when we had our talks with Arlok Sharma, who is the head of COP26, we were very pointed in our discussions with him. We gave him a list. We, you know, we basically said, this is what you need to do in order to achieve perception, perspective, and space. And we gave them an itemized list of things to do. To be able to have that position, when I was talking to him, I have to tell you, I was like, oh my God, here I am talking to a leading politician. And I felt very, very strange. And there was a part of me that felt a bit shy, because here you are talking to someone really important. And there was another part of me going, hey, hell, no, I'm going to bloody well tell you what I think. And so that part is super important, because if you, and that was the difference, is I was with uh, Bianca, and the two of us could help each other. So sometimes when you're in a conversation and you feel a little bit, you, you tend to shut down. We both really pushed and were very, quite strong and polite, but very strong on what we were saying because that was so important. So what I'm just trying to say is that She Changes Climate has given me a lot of joy in that we've touched so many women who feel that this is an issue that is really up close and personal to them, who want to be able to do something. Um, and the other point about it is what an amazing network of women in just because we have 400 people on a letter, that is representative of 40 million uh, or even 4 billion women working in one way or another to do something either about gender equality or about climate change or both. So, so that is what I loved about it, is it touched something and we are not trying to take the air away from these other groups, but to amplify their work and channel it in such a way that when we get to COP26, it's our, our motto now is it's, a, it's an ownerless campaign called 50-50 Vision. And it basically means for any board that you, so our asks now are if I am a man who has a company and I look at my board, and there are not 50-50 women, actively go out and seek women. And Or if I have in my organization, many of the women are not managers, actively seek women. Actively do all of this. And one of the questions I had back, which was really interesting, is, well, what if they're not the right person for the job? And I looked and I said, you know, describe, define right person from the job. Because from the very beginning, from university, you could have had a man and a woman, exactly the same grades, 
what happened? So and so knew so and so's son said, Yeah, you can come onto the board. You know, yeah, off you go. And it goes on like that. There is a whole social network behind this that has pushed that default thinking forward. Now, that is not to say I've also been in touch with um, the National Health Service. I was on a, a talk about three months ago. And what was interesting there, we were talking about this, about uh, equality, gender equality and balance on, on the board. And they actually said, we've hit the point now where we have parity. We have literally uh, 50% women, 50% men. So now we do choose the right person for the job. But we have to, to get there, it is not going to evolve organically. We've now, we've had 100 years in suffragettes for that to happen. It's not happening. It's not happening organically. Because people will default to what's, what's the easiest path. And we need more proactive steps for, and I've often said, the, the best way for uh, men to help women is, you know, step down. Step down to step up for women. And it's a very hard ask. But making those asks for, for the really enlightened would be so much more beneficial. Companies with mixed boards are actually more successful. So there's a lot going for this, but the problem is this is the default reaction. It's like, oh yeah, it's been that way, so we'll do it that way. Well, no, we have to change everything now. And as I've often said about the climate crisis, it's been only men who've been running it. If that formula were to work, wouldn't it have been solved by now? Maybe we need to change our thinking. You know, like one of the uh, most amazing, like this is so meaningful. And one of the most amazing part is that, you know, like what you are doing is like, you know, rising together by uplifting each other, by empowering each other. And as this brings me back to the point that climate action really unites us, be it men, be it women, we need to, you know, go together and do it because I feel that, you know, men and women, we both have our own qualities and climate action needs both of those qualities. And it's only together we can, you know, be on this amazing road and be on this amazing journey. So, uh, like, thank you, Internet. Thank you for being on the Climatpreneur Show. Thank you for giving, like, inspiring us with such amazing, you know, uh, such amazing things, I would say. And, like, really, really, really thank you so much. It's been my absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me on this uh, broadcast. I, I'm, I'm very, very touched and very honored. And it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you.